Back to Optimus Vaccine. I'm Steve. And joining me today, uh, he's routinely ignored by Matt Negley on Twitter for some reason. Uh, Jake Trapil is here. Thank you, Steve. There's a phenomenon known as deja vu. <laughs> is that from that trailer? Yeah, sure is. Oh, it oh, sure I is. It. I remember that. But, Dude, uh, the, the trailer is fucking amazing for Deja Vu because it restarts itself twice and then it nice. like totally abuses trailer voice guy. There's well, a well, phenomenon. So the, the movie restarts itself too. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. yeah, it does. <laughs> Production logos go by again. <laughs> it's a real, a real classy move there by Tony Scott. Uh, also joining me, uh, Jack Eason. Does Ireland have any good pizza? I, I don't think they do. I think it's a shithole country. What, is, what say you? <laughs> um, I haven't been back there in a while, but I do know for some reason they, within the last like 10 years, they got Papa John's, which is not good pizza. So <laughs> Papa, John's, Papa John's signed like some kind of weird agreement with Supermax, which is a, a popular fast food franchise in Ireland that is not McDonald's. It's Supermax. So every Supermax is Papa John's pizza, last I checked. Like a prison? Uh, super, <laughs> super yeah, yeah. Basic. I mean, if you're in there, it's the, one of the only restaurants I've ever been in where I got a serving of fries that were too salty to eat. So, yeah, <laughs> sure. That's good. I, I hope I hope they got the new shakaroni uh, pizza from Papa John's. That looks like a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. I hope the people of Ireland have good pizza. Uh, also joining us, uh, Adam Myros. Puppy Watch 2020. Where is that fucking thing? When are you getting it? Uh, two days. Two days till the dog ruins my life. It's, it's this is a real ass dog. Too. This dog's got papers. I don't know about that. It's it's one of these like fake breeds. So it's not like the AKCs are interested in the, in these sort of uh, crossbreed things. Did you did you go with a puppy mill like I advised you to? Uh no. Unfortunately, I, I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't find an applicable puppy mill. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows who those things are. It's it's really a shame. I, I want to know. You should support local business. <laughs> yeah, support your local puppy mill, man. Come on. Uh, also joining us, <laughs> Sean Glynis. And uh, Sean, if you were a drug dealer, you think you'd be trying to get us all Tony Scott pilled right now? Hell yeah. <laughs> you you're, you're slipping in there. I've been talking shit about Tony Scott for quite a while, and and you've been you've been slowly inserting him into the podcast and like switching my views on him so good work you're, you're a good drug well, pusher. you know things happen when you grow up and uh realize <laughs> the errors of your ways All right, what do you what are you saying about me personally here sean come on i feel attacked uh, I, I was i was speaking more about the royal you oh that's that's fair that's fair man all right well fuck before we get into this i'm i, I gotta apologize i'm fucking exhausted my back is like shredded i think i need to see a doctor or something i uh I made a mistake this weekend. You need weekend. a vacuotomy? Yeah, I just take the whole fucking thing out. I, I went, well, I, I went camping, which is not something I normally do because it's like, you know, being inside, but there's bugs and shit. And the whole idea was I, I, we we're, I thought we were going to go tubing, you know, which is a real Midwestern delight because you just, you sit in this fucking tube and you just float around 
and you got a cooler full of beer and you drink the beer and you just get drunk and you float and it's nice. It's very relaxing and it's 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 a good time. But we got there and it's just like, no, we're we're going rafting. And I was like, oh, is that is that like tubing? And they're like, yeah, it's just like a big tube. And I'm like, all right, that's that seems fine. I could still get drunk a bit. It seems easier. Uh, it's not like tubing at all. So I I was we we got to this place and the like the fucking cool ass hillbilly guys that drove us there they're just like yeah, uh, you know uh, just uh, you know don't die. <laughs> we're like oh, okay all right cool you got any advice for this? He's just like yeah you know you fall out just uh, keep your feet forward that's uh that's all you got to remember to do. Yeah, Steve, my, my right, understanding cool. of, of rafting versus tubing is that you can actually be good at rafting. Like, there's a skill quote yeah. in there. And wouldn't you know, you could be really bad at it. I think the distinction <laughs> is, is, the, is the lazy river nature of things. The, the, usually one rafts on a, a more difficult and dangerous uh, body well, yeah, of there's, water. There's like, there's, there's an in, like, you have to intervene in your situation in rafting. That's like a, a yeah. thing. And again, I wish this was explained to me in greater detail before I drank like 17 fucking beers and took an edible because holy shit. I'd say that ed- edible came out as, as a good idea at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> but it was so it started it off like and it was just shit. like, it, oh, well, yeah, I mean, basically it was just like it was pretty chill. It was just like, OK, this is fine. And then all of a sudden there's some rapids and you're like, oh, this this could be fun. It's it's not. It's I mean, it was fun, but it was fucking scary. It was stop what. I expected, and then I and we we got done, and I I didn't have any phone reception up there, but we got back, and I I googled like Wisconsin Wolf River deaths, and then there was just a bunch of news articles about how people get drunk and go on the river and and die because they don't know what they're doing. I'm like, wow, that's uh, Steve beating the odds. That's did Kevin Bacon did Kevin Bacon at any point show up and commandeer your raft? You have to fight uh, back. No, that that would have made it made it more interesting. At one point, I I got hit by something and I went flying like face first and I was just like spinning underneath the water like going down the river I was like oh this is how it ends but uh somehow I I popped up so uh wear your life jacket even if the toothless idiots tell you it's not a big deal I would also recommend a helmet rocks hurt (laughs) 17 less beers 17 less beers maybe just seven this seems like a good clip to, to keep but fuck man I am I'm fucking dead Anyways, uh, my personal stupidity aside, Sean, this uh, this podcast was was kind of uh, is your brainchild. Actually, um, you wanted to dive into some Denzel Washington, which I was all for because I feel like Denzel's a guy that everybody likes and respects. And you're like, yeah, Denzel, this fucking cool dude, makes good movies. But uh, going through some of his movies now, I, I didn't realize just how much of a force he is, and I'm I'm struggling to think of an actor that can just take any movie that he's in, regardless of quality, and not only enhance it, but literally, like, lift the entire thing on his fucking shoulders and carry it. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say, I think uh, it was technically Jack's idea uh, to, I, to I don't this. respect him. I won't, I won't acknowledge his yeah, ideas. Yeah, no, that's understandable. But, uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I've in trying to think of people well first of all uh or second of all i guess i already said first of all uh i agree like that it's sort of taken for granted that um denzel's good like everybody knows that nobody's gonna refute that nobody's gonna say like yeah uh he's he's not a good actor um but uh yeah you rarely see because of that and because he's been 
I guess, uh, so good for so long. Like you rarely see a sort of like insightful discussion uh, or writing about like what makes him so good. And I, yeah, I've been watching uh, a lot of them. I think this is, this is, I've watched nearly 20 of them this year of his movies. And um, I kind of just like put it together at a certain point, like why I like him or why I think he's so effective, but um, we can get into that later but uh yeah i think the biggest comp is probably tom hanks and obviously they work together in, in philadelphia but um but tom hanks doesn't i, I it seems like he white might bread motherfucker more. yeah <laughs> oh yeah but but uh he takes projects that um denzel is much choosier about what he chooses like to vault to success you know uh we just saw um, Tom Hanks take a, a, like a streaming movie and um, I would be surprised uh, I, I mean obviously things are different right now but I, I would have been surprised if Denzel did that uh, during the theatrical experience but um, and, and he is a, he was in a Netflix movie too Tom Hanks was but um, yeah there, there there really aren't very many comps to it. I don't know if other people have ideas about that or... Clooney Clooney comes to mind for me yeah, that's yeah. that's my uh, direct choice too. Yeah, those are just, they're just like the two most charismatic motherfuckers on earth, basically. So yeah, yeah, he could command the shit out of a room. And uh, he was actually Denzel was supposed to or was was first pitched uh, Michael Clayton and turned it down because he was afraid of uh, first time director. He was apprehensive, and that's one of the, the roles, one of like the two roles he regrets. Mm-hmm. Not taking. I mean, I, I'm glad he didn't take it because Clooney is so good in that. Yeah, Clooney's amazing. Michael Clayton is awesome. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know. It's it's just so interesting, like watching his career arc too, because you know, in the '90s, he was in a lot of big hit films, a lot of critically acclaimed films, and then just kind of watching him from there sort of pick and choose what he does, and you know, he's got his Oscar from was it like 2000, 2001 for for training day. And I, I think he was nominated for best actor the year before when he lost to, uh, Al Pacino, which was either for scent of a woman or Jack and Jill. I can't remember which one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's been nominated, uh, a few times and he won He won supporting for glory back in the eighties, uh, with the Zwickmeister. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, and we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, but, um, yeah, the the '90s really seemed like the period where he blossomed into like a superstar. Like he had, he was he was already known as like a really good actor. Mm-hmm. And um, in the early '90s, there's still some stuff that isn't very popular. But um, I think the stuff that really pushed him to that higher echelon was was the the prestige stuff, like Sherlock sure. and Brief and crimson tide and courage under fire and the the uh, the siege i don't know if people actually saw the siege besides me and my best friend and his mom but um yeah it seems like that sort of got him to that that really like respectable actor and philadelphia obviously um that level and then he started turning into like this more and more of an action star but but never taking any sequels or anything like that like always taking this lead role and usually having to do with some level of um, respectability or, or wanting to be a better person. And then he started taking more like complicated roles like training day 
where it, it sort of like turned that on his head. And um, I don't know if, if yeah. uh, well, I, some I, of the movies we'll talk about today also do that. I, and when we say he's choosy, he's choosy in a way where he just does shit that he wants to do. Like he's mm-hmm. he's not worried about really how he's perceived at this point in his career. It's not like he's only doing prestige stuff with beloved auteurs or, you know, cool indie dramas to get him cred or you know, anything like that. He just does whatever the fuck he wants. And sometimes that's a, you know, a little action film or it could be something like fucking Fences, which kind of came out of nowhere. And he just does whatever the fuck he wants. And that's very yeah. respectable. And it's not concerning money either. I mean, you mentioned Tom Hanks I mean, that's or even George Clooney. And these are guys that have done big franchises. And Denzel has really shied away from that kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, and obviously the Spike Lee stuff that seemed to be a really uh, fruitful uh, collaboration uh, throughout the '90s, um, and he got game. I think was was one of those first big ones that really turned him into somebody that could, or you know, turned his presence on screen into something that could push this complicated area. And we talked about that um, a few episodes back, mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, Oh, oh, and and fences, uh, and kind of like Clooney uh, to that comp, um, I, you know, he started directing his own, and to varying success, he directed Fences, which is a play that he was doing, uh, directed the play as well, uh, well before the movie. But um, so that that's sort of like another side of of his career arc is going and doing like Shakespeare and other type of stuff, August Wilson stuff, but. Um, yeah, I think we all would agree that he's a better actor than a director, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen The Great Debaters. <laughs> I uh, I haven't seen that one in a while either. I can't really speak to the quality, but uh, I I assume it's a it's a masterpiece. Maybe uh, sounds like something. Leatherheads that... level. Yeah, he's. I mean, between The Great Debaters and Remember the Titans, uh, Denzel Washington was a fixture of. Uh, my my high school where you know they just throw on a movie mm-hmm. when they didn't want to do anything and those were two great choices so uh all right well why don't we just jump into this uh we're gonna talk about a little movie called out of time a respected cop 485 grand can i touch it no you can't maybe i'll just steal it maybe i'll just shoot you a moment of truth there's been a setback it's come back very aggressively. Why don't you tell me, maybe, about that experimental stuff? They're extremely expensive. A time to discover. What is it? Money. No. Meet me at my house. 11 o'clock. That nothing is what it seems. Oh, ominous as fuck. Is Denzel the only good cop in the world? <laughs> <laughs> Not in training. Oh, what about his sidekick, John Billingsley? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, John Billingsley is fucking great in this. Uh, I guess, Jake, why don't you tell us what the fuck is out of time? Because I had never even thought about this movie before we watched it for the podcast. Yeah, never seen it uh, before this week, but uh, Out of Time, it's directed by uh, Carl Franklin, who did uh, Devil in a Blue Dress with Denzel previously, which is a pretty good movie. Uh, Denzel's a cop. He's the chief of police in the Florida Keys, and uh, he gets embroiled in this uh, life insurance scheme between a woman he's uh, sleeping with who wants to leave her abusive husband, played by Dean Cain, and uh, when their house burns down and they apparently turn up dead, he's caught in the middle of it and basically tries to uh, outsmart the feds and the local police investigating, and uh, it's a it's a 
throwback to pulpy, sun-drenched thrillers, uh, and it's a, it's a pretty decent time, I say. Yeah, this one was, yeah. it was loads of fun. It's just like a, like a pulpy, almost like noirish thriller in a way, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it's, it's in this like sun-drenched, like outside of swamp. Miami swamp place. Uh, so the location yeah. is really interesting. Um, and one of the things I, I enjoyed the most about it is a common theme in the Denzel films that we watch, and I think a lot of the movies that he's done, is when Denzel is playing like a cop or a badass or an action hero, he has this natural just confidence and charisma about him where he's always sort of in control of shit. You know, you always feel like, okay, Denzel's got a handle on things. And Out of Time is really good at kind of teasing out his his paranoia and his anxiety. And it's super Mm -hmm. fun to watch him just deal with an increasingly complex situation where everything is closing in on him. Yeah, that the, there's like a sort of the the scene that sticks out in my mind the most is is uh, when he's he's uh, what is he fiddling around with like a fax machine in, in his phone? He's altering phone he, records. That whole yeah. like middle half hour is the the best part of this movie. Yeah. Where he's he's altering fax machines. He's deleting it, like the voicemail function on his phone. He's fooling mm-hmm. people into calling other people. So, like, in Denzel, we've said he's a commanding, he's a great actor of great stature. And, yeah, this film is kind of like seeing what happens when he's got his back against the wall and he's trying to mm-hmm. wrest that control back into his life. Um, so it's kind of, it's a very clever subversion on his persona as an actor. Um, and it works really well. This, yeah. this stuff in the second act is just is great. Oh, Absolutely. Myros, you get a kick out of this one? Have you even ever heard of this before? I don't know how this one like fell under my radar for so long. It's kind of weird. It seems to have fallen under most people's radar. It was not a it was not a box office smash, we'll say. But um, yeah, I I did enjoy this quite a bit. I I knew nothing about it going in. Like I even in the first act, I'm like I didn't really realize it was like a frame up sort of movie. I was like, uh, where the hell is this? You thought it was Nick of Time with Johnny Depp? Yeah, I was like, ah, what <laughs> do we got? Like a some sort of cancer drama on our hands here why why we picked this then, <laughs> yeah it, it certainly gets going it's it's a very enjoyable movie this it it, 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 it like many things we'll discuss here i think it, it's kind of uh, it's kind of an outlier for its era like i think that because we're covering denzel in the aughts that we're seeing a lot of mm-hmm. the changing face of sort of action cinema and you know kind of major studio cinema as a whole because these star-driven things are almost becoming an outlier even in 2003. This feels very much like a, a 90s action film. And uh, mm-hmm. that's a good yeah, thing it, in my book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it kind of, it really, like, because, uh, so this is 2003, and then the year before was John Q, which is um, a, another movie that's, like, uh, surprisingly good. And uh, he's really good in it. And uh, even though it has, like, sort of a, a formulaic, like, setup, um and it also is him like with his back against the wall um but it's a very b movie feel like this and these both come right after um uh training day and like i mean he had this run in coming out of the 90s where it was like uh the hurricane remember the titans and training day like that's such a huge like blockbuster and like prestige like 
all of this this collateral that he's coming in and he does out of time and john q and it's just like these weird throwback b movies that really do like jake's head subvert sort of that star power and uh it, it's it's interesting yeah it's uh it's really good shit and I, we i mean we were joking earlier but john billingsley who plays his kind of like sidekick in a way he he works at the morgue but he helps out the sheriff because i mean it's just this tiny little fucking town so he does things here and there for the police department and he's hilarious and just great as a foil to denzel straight man and holy shit dean kane as a villain natural <laughs> villain natural villain i mean in life yeah. but also yeah. in film like Literally. it's so fucking weird that he played superman <laughs> I really right. predict the way that would shake out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is like, I feel like the connecting tissue, and I guess maybe of Denzel Washington as a star, is like the man's smile carries more weight, I think, than any other actor of the modern era. And and the way he like, and he, yeah. his switch from, from Den, like when Denzel Washington smiles, you, it, it can carry so many different connotations of like genuine mm-hmm. warmth, or here it's usually a deception, a distraction, but underneath it, he's a good guy in this film. He he breaks the law, but he's breaking the law to help someone in an earnest fashion, and then things start constricting around him, and he's got to start, you know, rejigging things to get back to parody. So it, it's kind of like he's he's condemned for being a good guy, for helping someone out, and it turns out the world isn't the world isn't nice to a good man. But um, yeah, I mean. It, which is the same exact setup in John Q. Sure, and and it seems like I mean, for me, this film. And I, again, I'm I'm like I I gotta admit, maybe I'm not as warm on this film as as you guys. Like I think it's good. I enjoyed it, but to me, it kind of has that like hotel room feel. It's kind of like it's a it's kind of a yeah, movie that sure. I would you know find on TV on a hotel room and sit down and enjoy kind of you know unexpectedly, which is not necess- not necessarily a bad thing. It's kind of like I, I don't even know what category of movie that is, but it just feels like that. Like like White That's... Men Can't Jump is another one of those movies. I just you know enjoyable, but not exactly something I would recommend or go like you gotta see this. But um, that's basically how I found it, Jack. Oh, really? it was like uh, it was it was like a Friday or Saturday night, and um, like this was I don't know like two months ago or something like that. And I was like, it was like too late to like start like a movie I actually wanted to like sit down and pay attention to, you know, like 10 o'clock or whatever. And I was just like flipping on like through Prime to see something that I would watch like 15 minutes of and then like just be tired. And I was like, oh, out of time. Okay. There you go. Uh, I've never seen this. And I put it on and I just like watch the whole Perfect. thing. Perfect. Uh, yeah just i mean it's not that it's great but it has that yeah no, it's, vibe it's, where it's, it's just like yeah i can put yeah this it's, it's definitely like i mean and i don't want to like condemn it i think it's definitely it's it's enjoyable it's slick and i like this very much is it's the denzel washington show without him centering it 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 i don't think the twists and subversions would carry a lot of weight but they we kind of are able to invest in him as a leading character and and he's really good at selling uh you know like i say kind of a guy who's good-hearted or you know his heart's in the right place but he bends rules and i guess it's uh, you know kind of very we'll see some variation of that i guess throughout all the films we discuss uh become bad i mean training day really made his name as a guy who bends the rules because he's actually bad um and that kind of like made <laughs> yeah he bends the rules and yeah day. <laughs> but but here he's doing it but it's kind of like he's he's a sympathetic character and go even i mean without going to spoil it so much i mean man that the love angle in this film falls in on itself like he's given nothing so uh it's a rough trip (laughs) 
Yeah, totally. And I, I agree with you, too. It's like the most enjoyable kind of like early 2000s B-movie. And it really feels like something like like a, a tier two streaming movie. So like if you flipped on one of the free ones like Tubi or Crackle and you're like, oh, gee, yeah. what's on here? And you're like, I have no idea that, what the fuck this is. That's exactly, that's exactly it. what this it is. It absolutely yeah. feels like a movie you should find like that's already like it's 10 minutes in. Like I feel maybe I should watch it again, <laughs> but like start 15 minutes in and just see what it's see how it rolls <laughs> well, it, it interests it's, me in the way yeah. that it, it sort of branches from multiple sort of 90s genres like it's obviously owes a lot to the fugitive but uh there is also this sort of erotic thriller bent especially early on in the first act and it, it's just amusing because it, it it's like the old uh fully clothed steamy sex scenes uh, over and over again it's like what are we you doing? love it this man so goofy yeah we got we got rid of sex in, in the 2000s it's one um, of the most sexless called- uh, erotic uh thrillers you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it was a weird throw- uh, listen bro you need you need to grind on some denim more okay <laughs> it's a great feeling it's a weird throwback because the actress who plays the the female lead in this was uh was the wife of uh, the Kadeem Hardison's character in Drive, which is one of my favorite go-to kung fu action comedies, and it was just weird to see her in something where she's not just a befuddled, kind of like, what the hell is going on person. In fact, she's quite the contrary. So it's sort of a, a fun uh, swap out there. But yeah, this it just it just has an energy. This is a very, like, this is slick filmmaking. I, Carl Franklin, I'm not really familiar with his work largely and it looks like he's worked a lot in tv and stuff i've not seen devil in the blue dress it's one of those blind spots i've been meaning to get to but like this this goes it just kind of ticks along very very satisfyingly and yeah it's got kind of an i guess an interesting enough cast um god i'm trying to remember what's her name the uh god what's eva mendes that's well, like i mean who i think frankly he i think his wife in training Day. yes and I, and I think generally is an underrated actress i think she is she's better mm-hmm. in everything than you remember her being or that you tend to hear about her that she kind of like uh, i don't know like I, I feel like she's just never gotten enough press frankly i don't know you know or if she's overshadowed by her looks or whatever but like she's solid as a rock here as in everything else and she kind of plays a really good um foiled Denzel and being sharp but just not quite as sharp as him because she doesn't exactly know the full game as it's unfolding at any given time and eventually pieces mm-hmm. it together so there, there's some really solid interplay throughout um so yeah it's 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 a very satisfying film and it's kind of a film that doesn't it doesn't complicate itself any more than it needs to which I think is a something that can happen to a lot of these genre films that people start to get like it's not just a genre film and and it becomes a little bit mm-hmm. bloated and a little bit confused and muddled this one kind of keeps its eye on the prize for the for the whole time which is good um yeah. you know yeah yeah it's a movie that knows what it is for sure yeah and it, it really is in like the the grand tradition of like Poverty Row film noir too because I mean Carl Franklin like you said he did a lot of TV uh, I I don't think he's done a feature film since out of time for whatever reason but it's still really slickly directed and even the writer because i mean this is it's super twisty turny so the script feels like something that got passed around a lot before it finally got made and david collard he hasn't he hasn't really done a, a shitload of stuff like he his other big notable thing is he wrote uh Adam Myros's favorite James Franco war movie, Annapolis. But other than that, he doesn't really have like a ton of like big stuff that you'd recognize under his belt. So 
Yeah, it's it's just there's not a ton to say, but it's just it's a cool little movie. Like if if it's a lazy Sunday afternoon, you got a hangover. This is the perfect thing to turn on. Maybe yeah. you were thrown from a raft in uh, Whitewater Rapids and you need to <laughs> chill for a little bit. This is a good thing to watch. <laughs> Probably uh, ties with Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Sixth Day as a movie where I always saw the poster everywhere I went, but I've never actually seen the film. And uh, that has now changed. Are you going to watch The Sixth Day? I gonna watch the, no, no, I kind of like not having seen The Sixth Day. Also ties nicely with Commando for the Hawaiian shirt action. So... Yeah. <laughs> this could use more steel right, drum in the soundtrack. <laughs> got that really fun opening credit sequence too. It's a, it's yeah. a, oh, it's a fun yeah. time, fun time, fun movie. <laughs> All right, well let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit, and uh, I think it's about time, boys, that we got uh, Tony Scott pilled. There were twenty-four kidnappings in Mexico City in the last six days. Pita! Four a day. What do you think about that, Gracie? Run! Tony Scott's man on fire. This is shit. If you're gonna Tony Scott pill someone, this is uh, this is <laughs> this is throwing him in the deep end. This is like, yeah, this is sort of like his. Uh, it's not my favorite of his work, but it's like his opus or whatever his moby dick or whatever you know it's like the big it's very big and it's you, sort you of could like, say he's painted his masterpiece <laughs> it's it's like um it's him at his most tony scott at least um up to that point and uh i guess it's debatable whether he is more tony scott in domino but, but yeah this was infamous for the trailer uh where that line was said and uh, by Christopher Walken, who has a small part in this. <laughs> Christopher Walken is actually, he, he might be my favorite part of the whole movie because he's playing my favorite Christopher Walken role where he's just totally, like, totally fucking lucid. Just bringing the Quaalude vibes and just kind of floating through the whole movie. And, <laughs> but he still has this, this magnetic personality. I watched this uh, today, and then yesterday I watched Click, which is like the same thing, but in a like comedy drama. <laughs> I mean, if, uh, Christopher Walken. If we have to reference back to stuff we watched recently, frankly, Christopher Walken is like Kelsey Grammer and Money tr- playing here, and that he like he he almost feels like he's in a separate movie to some degree. Like his his parts don't really interconnect with the movie at large. Like you almost feel like a lot of it could have been filmed in his house, just hanging out with people. Uh, but yeah, he he talks a lot about death and so on and people being the best which is very important to me like money playing. <laughs> so but uh yeah i mean i make no bones okay like i despise this film <laughs> so i'll probably i make i may come out uh different to everyone else like this is this is a film i literally have nothing positive to say about and I, this is the second well, time i've watched it so it's sort of like i i did this to myself so in a way Really, I'm, you know, I got no one to blame here. I suggested we watch this. So <laughs> kind of our suggestion, we go in this direction and then it made it to the list. So I've spent five hours of my well, life watching Man on Fire. I, I think it's I think it's good to kind of contextualize this in, in the Tony Scott verse as well, because he had this run of films basically up until he passed away, where it's kind of like his his whiz bang Tony Scott period. So you've got. Uh, Man on Fire and Domino, which are the most extreme examples of this kind of stylistic shift for him, uh, as well as Deja Vu, 
uh, taking a Pelham uh, one two three, and I think I think that's everything. One hundred twenty three. One hundred twenty three. Yeah. No, he did Unstoppable. Uh, that was his last. Yeah, which I I haven't seen, but I assume that it's it's also pretty whiz bang. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. It, it's on par with something like um, uh, Pelham. Uh, maybe a little tamped down from that, but it, it's it's very yeah. kinetic. And, and this uh, is I mean, it's about a moving train as well. So. <laughs> this this all comes from his collaborations with uh, Paul Cameron, who uh, he did cinematography on Deja Vu and Man on Fire. Uh, he also worked on Collateral, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. So this is a guy that kind of, I, I don't know, he, he seems like he was a big influence on this whole period of, of big studio yeah. action films. It's it's hard to to throw a rock and not hit one of his movies from this period. This whole, like, especially like t- 2000 to say 2008 is, uh, so his fingerprints are all over action cinema. Now the question is, yeah. does that shit jive with you? And for me... Not so much here, but a little bit more in, in some of his other movies. But Sean, s- sell me on Man on Fire, because I, I feel like you're the biggest defender. And my experience this time, second time seeing it, I liked it a little bit more just because I felt like I, I kind of knew what he was doing a little bit more, but it still didn't totally click with me. Well, first I'll say this is the this is the only table I'll find myself at where people have to be so, sold on Man on Fire. So I'll preface <laughs> it with that. But um, uh, and and uh, I recently just watched Spy Game, uh, Tony Scott's Spy Game, which I maybe it takes multiple viewings to get on that way. But I just found it kind of dull, like um, even with two like huge actors, just not really with his style. But um, it it starts to go in this style, but it's still. It's it's not what this is. This is like Jackson Pollock type of stuff that uh, Tony Scott is doing here. Just like um, really, um, you know, mashing the keyboard on the color correction and, and bleaching, <laughs> uh, really bleaching stuff and, and just throwing like shit at the walls. And, and um, uh, but uh, what I like uh, about it a lot is, is Denzel's performance and how Tony Scott like comes to the table to make this thing that is more experimental than he's ever done and um sort of like this new this new uh leaf in his career that would that would mark the rest of it um and makes this crazy thing with denzel who is you know huge at this point and he hadn't worked with him for a while for a very long time and um and he does that he, he does all this together like he he does all these crazy cuts and stuff where sometimes it's hard to exactly like get a vantage point or, or whatever, but he trusts that there's a trust there, um, that, uh, Tenzel's performance, um, is going to be, uh, powerful through all of that. And it, it certainly works for me, but, um, then you also have, uh, that crazy cutting stuff with this very bombastic, score I, I don't know exactly all the details but i think most of it is is original score and for me that's kind of where um on this this is my second viewing in two years but i'm pretty sure i saw it in the in the cinema but i don't really remember much but um that's kind of what rung for me this time seeing it like in quote close succession was um it becomes kind of I, I guess the, the easiest analog is music where um, you get the rhythms and it becomes less of like, why is this crazy style going on? And it, and it just becomes, you know, the hook 
uh, of this mm. part, you know, or, or the part on the album that you really like this change, you know, when he goes into the club and, and uh, the tone changes uh, physically uh, in the film mm-hmm. and um, musically. And, and yeah, I, I just really appreciated that. But the core of this movie that is incredible to me is um, Denzel and Dakota Fanning, mm-hmm. who was 10 years old when she made this. And uh, they have just like this really powerful chemistry and jack was talking about um denzel's smile at the beginning of the pod and there's like they don't even have that much screen time especially when you consider a two and a half hour movie but um he has moments where he just smiles at her or just says like one word and it it really really moves me and um yeah it's 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 powerful stuff i think that they have like sort of this tension at the beginning and sort of cut through that and it becomes very endearing Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's odd as an action film just because like you said denzel's performance is great and tony scott especially during this period he's really exceptionally good for a guy that makes predominantly action films he's exceptionally good at, at shooting dialogue and just the way that he edits back and forth conversations to just catch little reactions and, and facial movements. And that, I mean, that's something Denzel excels in. So I think it's a, it's a great pairing in that way. Dakota Fanning's excellent. Um, and the first 45 minutes, and this is the crazy thing. It's basically just this relationship building between Denzel and Dakota Fanning. And that was my favorite mm-hmm. part of the film. And then once it switches into like revenge action, it it just it it sort of fell apart for me because it is stylistically extreme. It's like hyper saturated color, all kinds of editing and like uh, like shutter effects. Uh, When I say all kinds of editing, I sound like a real fucking idiot. A lot of a lot of quick cuts, quick cutting. I mean, just boom, 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 one right after the other. And it's a little bit disorienting and it it doesn't it, it feels like. There's some dissonance between what's going on in the movie and and what Tony Scott is doing as he's kind of throwing shit at the wall, essentially. And sometimes it works. I think it it works stylistically in like the club scene, like you mentioned. But there's other times where it's just like, oh, here's the random shutter effect. It's like, why? Why? It doesn't. Nothing connects for me. And that seems to get it it amps up this this style. These stylistic flourishes they amp up as the movie continues, and then it just it just unravels. Totally unravels for me. But yeah. I mean, A for effort, because holy fuck, to think that this was like a big hit theatrical release in 2004 is kind of mind-blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would like, I'd say I, I didn't like the film. I would agree. I think the first 50 minutes are the best part because frankly, I think it's the only part where you can really see a perform performances occurring um, after a really juddery opening, uh, frankly, really racist account of mexico city is the place kidnappings happen <laughs> um it just could like mexico city is kidnapping central that's it like that's the only thing we learn about mexican culture from that opening sequence and then it comes in everyone's hiring bodyguards um there's a little bit of talk about i think mark anthony's character who's dakota fanning's father has like is he's a car manufacturer or something he's betting on some kind of a, a corporate deal maybe you know that i thought maybe it could lend some kind of a concept of what creates these economic tensions that would make kidnapping lucrative film doesn't really get anywhere with that so it really 
uh, kind of for me, it falls into just sort of a, a <laughs> like it, it reminds me a lot of like the Jamaican population as depicted in the early works of Steven Seagal. They're just bad people and they need to be wiped out. Um, and then as as Dakota Fanning, I think Dakota Fanning is fantastic in this film. It's a child performance is superb, but I also don't really like the performance because it's that precocious, slightly wise child performance, particularly in the way she's showing when she's showing Denzel around. I guess it could read as she's an only child and she's left on her own a lot. So she's kind of she knows how to interact with kids. And she's wealthy. And yeah, yeah she's like, rich uh, as you know, the, yeah, she has so many resources to stuff like that piano teaching. And uh, I mean, like uh rich kids are <laughs> it's it's kind of, it's kind of there but i like I, I don't know i just i don't think there's there's between them there's kind of just a little bit i i don't know dakota fanton the child doesn't come through enough and i i feel there's a weakness within it and that to me that's a minor element within it but it's within that first 50 minutes prior to the kidnapping where we're kind of building a rapport with these characters after that really the film just like the stylistic elements like to me man on fire it's a a very simple film there's nothing unusual within it it's like an absolute dyed in the wool genre revenge film it's got a christian catholic element to it maybe in terms of kind of a guilt of of inherent human flaws and about a, a soiled man who will kind of gain revenge but he will sacrifice himself to do it um this is nothing new this is like action film 101 the film just kind of like moves through all these things but with like the action sequences what what strikes me i guess is that fundamentally i feel like this is this is a pretty standard genre revenge film and then when it gets to the parts where we're supposed to be you know this film was known as like it's so violent it's like it's not really that violent you don't see you can't see anything the camera's juddering all over the place he cuts some guy's fingers off but it's alluded to he sticks a bomb up a guy's ass it's alluded to also when the car explodes with or when the bomb explodes the car explodes first was a little bit confusing um but like there's just <laughs> these disconnects within the film that i'm kind of like it's not like if anything my complaint about man of fire is it's not violent enough it's a strangely conservative oh. film in in how it portrays all of these things um and then in the end like its final thesis where like i god i hate the end of this film because it's denzel sacrifices himself and then in the final shot of the film the big bad bad guy they they just pop up like he was murdered too uh, and it's it, like it, rem- it reminded it reminded me of like the the fucking lovely bones which is f- another film i despise because it's a film that doesn't have the it doesn't have the fortitude of its own message and like the lovely bones is a film about forgiveness and it's a film about how you're supposed to you can't control things and sometimes you have to let things go you, you know denzel was really good in that too yeah. <laughs> but but what happens in that film for anyone who hasn't seen the lovely bones and if you haven't never watch it it's absolutely awful um, but basically, it's like they, they someone learns to forgive the bad guy. There's a bad guy in the movie. They forgive him. They kind of go like, you know what? We can't. We can't do that. We have to heal ourselves. And then at the end, the bad guy like slips and falls down a cliff and dies. And it's like a karmic repayment, which completely undercuts the whole concept of forgiveness. And this film is the same idea that Denzel Washington sacrifices himself uh, for a child's life. And it's a you know in a way it's it's meaningless in the larger miasma of Mexican violence, gang violence, um you know. But it's it's an act, a personal act between him and this child. And then in the end, they just stick up things like, and also the bad guy died. And it's like that's 
fucking <laughs> stupid. Like, that's a terrible thing to do. So, yeah, I, I mean, I just, as I say, I feel like Denzel Washington is great in the film, but he's buried under this cuisine art editing, this, like, just choppy, juddery, like, 13 ghosts noise. And, I, you know, and I don't, I don't understand what that's for because it doesn't like i don't see any connection between that i mean denzel washington is struggling with alcoholism he's struggling with he's suicidal originally he's trying to find his way back into life but i don't understand the connection between the form and the message in this film and so i just think that it's it, like to me it's just it's kind of a badly made genre film that runs on quite a long way like it's it is whatever 146 minutes long that's a long time to take well, on one of these movies for me. I, I have a I have a question that I'd like to bounce over to Jake. Jake, if they sure. did slow mo uh, shutter effects as Denzel put the bomb up the guy's butt, is this a five star movie? Uh, I mean, I I like that we don't <laughs> see him actually insert the bomb. I like that it's just already in there when the scene starts. Um, it's the best part. Why into the butt stuff? The juicy. Well, well, I mean. Uh, I, for for maybe for another time, but uh, I mean, come on, if it's gonna kill somebody, uh, let's get real here. But um, I think uh, I'm with I'm with Sean. This movie's great. Um, yes, the prologue and the epilogue are bad, but Denzel is this is the Denzel cast, and Denzel is a true grounding force, and he's able to still be that charismatic guy we all love even as he's torturing people like he's still casually when he breaks into the nightclub and he's torturing the guy up in the office and he's able to do so because the the sound is so loud that he can fire guns and not get a, get caught and he's just like casually oh hey you're you're from you're from the states where are you oh you're jersey i'm from jersey and he's got this really cool rapport that he has with people and the like the the bomb sequence the c4 sequence you put that in any other film i would probably hate it like it seems like it would be something that would come from suicide squad where they shove c4 up some guy's <laughs> ass and and blow it up but because it's denzel doing it it's like why isn't every movie with denzel have this scene yeah. in the movie and yeah, yeah he's he, he sells it so well booty violence feels better with denzel go ahead sean that's right <laughs> We That's we were talking um, through the week uh, uh, just via via chat and and it, it was mentioned something about like um, some of these movies not working with with uh, somebody or not working with somebody who's not Denzel and and this is one that is that for me which um, yeah I, I just can't imagine it being with like a, a Clooney or whoever um, or like I don't know. Uh, I mean, I was thinking of Will Smith because of Enemy of the State coming off that, but like, I don't think that that would be good. He doesn't have the darkness that Denzel does. But, um, but I find the um, the Dakota Fanning thing like I, I I find that there's a she's asking him questions, you know, like the concubine stuff, and and asking for help on homework and stuff, and then he's teaching her about like swimming and stuff. I I I find there to be a um, a very obvious and important i guess a hegemonic relationship there um that uh i don't know just works for me but myros we haven't heard from you yeah uh i kind of agree with everyone <laughs> i think that this is this is a genre <laughs> right, moving film, on a very simple Fuck genre film that is at once elevated by a performance and then uh brought right back down by some of the choices made in the film i i feel like yeah Everything everyone's saying about Dakota Fanning and Denzel is correct. And even 
even uh, walking. Like, I, I think this is a great cast all around. And uh, I think Scott got a lot out of his actors in this film. And uh, yeah, I, I also think it's not very good because I, I just don't understand a lot of what Scott is, is doing here. And I, I couldn't help but think of, you know, we're just coming off the Sukamoto stuff and I couldn't help but think of something like bullet ballet. It uses a lot of similar technique in, in that it even employs similar sort of industrial music in this bizarre sort of interludes of hyper editing and industrial sound. And in that movie, it, it serves a purpose and it feels like it could here if it were employed correctly, like this sort of degeneration in Denzel, but it's almost uniform throughout the film. There's no real escalation of that style choice. It is uh, almost arbitrary and it's unpleasant to me to, to view, but uh, I, yeah, there's just a lot in this film. I don't like, it's also got a lot of very of its time things like the, uh, I, I guess he watched his brother's film uh, gladiator and was like, boy, I really love that stupid world beat. Like, hi, hi, hi. I, I better put that in this thing every five minutes. It's like I, I could do without it, frankly. But it, it, there's a lot to like here. Like it, this movie is separate from a lot of revenge films in that it does have a definite heart to it, and I. It, it's a sort of movie I really want to like, but I find very unpleasant to view. <laughs> but. I, I don't know. I, it, it's strange. It, it is speaking more to what I'm talking about with that divergence in action cinema here. I feel like Scott is very consciously seeking to evolve the sort of action film that was made in the 90s and bring it forward into the 2000s. And it's almost like he's trying to do something different with action cinema than everyone mm -hmm. else was at the time. And he's, it didn't go his direction, but he was trying something different. He was trying to evolve an existing formula. And I think he figured that out a lot better when we move on to uh, the next film here, how to apply some of these techniques. Like, again, there is some definite Tsukamoto DNA here. There is obviously some Wonkar Y DNA here with the shutter speed madness. But uh, yeah, it doesn't work for me here. I, I think he needed to figure out how to really apply it thematically appropriately in a film and i think he did going forward but in this this feels very transitional to me yeah yeah i just well, want to hey. jump in before we go i just want to jump in one other thing that i hate in this movie because just in case anyone is <laughs> thank you wondering, if anyone's wondering if i'm you know what, what does he think okay i hate the use of subtitles in this movie okay this movie has Almost every line of Spanish in this film is subtitled, but on screen and stylized. So the in a certain points, uh, the the like the subtitles like judder and and lose focus, or they get bigger or smaller depending. But like every line of Spanish in this, like no matter how minute, practically is subtitled in this film, and it just gave me this terrible feeling because this this is a film about Americans basically going south of the border and tearing shit up. Uh, and kind of dealing with Mexican criminals. And like, I do genuinely, I, I can't see any reading of this film that isn't like couched in, in an immense racism 
personally uh now middle action movies and revenge movies yeah. is not like it's not like this is an unusual <laughs> thing uh but it's certainly it's there and i just felt that the use of the subtitles in this was kind of almost to suggest it's like there's not even i mean they they subtitled the most like banal phrases of like hello and goodbye you know spanish words that any american would know pretty much or could at least figure out from context and it just got this it just gave me this feeling watching the film there's like this is a movie for this isn't a movie for people south of the border this isn't a movie for the southern hemisphere this is a film for for northern people and their industries and their interests and I, I mean i know it's kind of a broad reading of the film but i just it was, i just felt it was incredibly distasteful it's kind of a meta detail it just it just made me it just irked me that little bit extra on top of not liking the stylistic choices etc i just got this feeling that this was a film that was you know pushing out against that and i, and I don't know you know i mean i'm 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 not from south of the border, so I maybe, you know, I'm parlaying my own reading of it, but it just felt very strange that he would focus on that element in the way that he does. It kind of employing, I guess, language is a visual element. The subtitle has become a visual nuance of the image, but it, it also, to my mind, kind of, uh, I don't know, like delegitimizes the Spanish speech. It delegitimizes, because I mean, really, Mexicans in this exist in this film basically to be wiped out by Denzel. Um, almost <laughs> everyone, like, I mean, uh, Christ is any, like, Mark Anthony is the father, is the only one who's like halfway a real character, and even he turns out to be a bad guy. It turns out he see, set up his own daughter practically, and then I guess there's uh, you got your reporter the and your other cop. Yeah, the, the the reporter and the cop, I guess, are they they come out kind of ahead, uh, kind of. But even then, they're kind of like we'll set right, right, back right. and we'll just let Denzel handle this because you know it's it's extrajudicial what Denzel is doing, and they kind of like Mexico is too corrupt to really fix this. You know, there's no infrastructure to actually punish criminals, so we just gotta let the American guy just go fucking hog wild with C four and people's assholes, and it's just like. Oh yeah, I just this film to me is it's distasteful, but not in like the fun way. It to me, it's just kind of like <laughs> distasteful in that sort of like this is just a a shitty American movie like in of that mold. So yeah, that's Jack, that's me. Jack, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. A Denzel sure. Washington film directed by Tony Scott. Where have you heard this before? You arrive at a place you've never been. <laughs> But it feels familiar. But it feels familiar. You look into the face of a stranger. And you feel like you've known her all your life. Have we met? Yeah. Yeah, we have. Deja vu is believed by many to be a trick of the mind. But the truth is far more extraordinary. Jake, well, look, every single time I run into a woman and say, have we met before, she sobs and says yes. <laughs> Why is that? Um, probably because you have a, uh, a computer set up to a uh, wormhole in your bedroom and you've been watching her for the last four days. Steve, I don't know. Steve, can I interject and just say <laughs> that, that? That old story? 
the the, <laughs> the ultimate Tony Scott move, and I give full credit to Tony Scott, is that we were discussing two of his movies in this podcast, and for my money, he absolutely made the worst one and by far and away the best one. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. full on. Deja Vu is I, is, I had knew nothing about this movie going in, and it went places I was not expecting in ways I wasn't expecting. And this is definitely slept on. This movie is worth chasing down. I think out of all the ones we're talking about. Also, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also in typical Tony Scott fashion, he made the, the two best movies uh, that we're going to talk about today. Um, uh, Man on Fire and Deja Vu. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Device no. Man. Uh, yeah. I- As a transitional point uh, for about Denzel, though, like Man on Fire was is sort of like the only one of this lot that is like the big Denzel, the big um, baddie kind of guy, like the the very forceful mm-hmm. uh, Denzel. And um, this is this goes back into uh, uh, I guess more of what he's known for now, which is just this very sort of reserved. Uh, which maybe isn't always the the way that we talk about Denzel or imagine his movies in our heads um, or his oeuvre or whatever, but um, he's he's definitely reserved in the next three Den- or Tony Scott. Yeah, movies. he plays men of quiet beans, really, and like I think he does it very well that he kind of rev- you know reveals more and more. And in this film, um, <clears throat> I guess the difference between this film and some of his others is that he is. Depicted here in Deja Vu, he's a ATF agent and clearly is extremely good at his job, an extremely observant, clever agent. But the film, rather than going the range of Man of Fire or The Equalizer, which we'll get to where he's a, he's a man who can, you know, enact violence where necessary. He can he can kind of bring forth a fury where necessary. I mean, this is this is kind of a love story, a weird romantic film that starts with a ferry bombing in the in New Orleans recently devastated by Hurricane Katrina and I was I was very confused in this because this film literally opens in uh post Katrina New Orleans and kind of acknowledges that Hurricane Katrina has happened and then we have this massive terrorist attack on a ferry that kills 543 men women and children and the men are all like navy seamen so it's kind of like this attack on the heart of America and uh, and this movie like this movie is like PG thirteen, and I was just sitting there going like, what the fuck is happening? Like what, you know, who who goes this big in the opening of a film? But as the film reveals itself, we we start to realize it's a film about. Uh, well, I mean, it becomes clear that this attack can be undone, which opens up a new discussion point. I mean, for anyone who's not seen the film, to to explain. Uh, Denzel Washington's character who's investigating this terrorist attack uh, and is doing it in a very kind of clever manner. He finds a woman who's died separately, but he figures her murder is connected and he finds this kind of personal route through her into this large scale terrorist attack. And it's kind of that's an interesting element even in and of itself. It's kind of narratively useful because it's hard to care about 543 people as like a mass but it's easy to care about one person and interesting within the film it's very easy to care about one very beautiful person and the film understands that too um and he gets drafted on this team led by val kilmer who present this technology that allows him it's, it's kind of like a state surveillance a government surveillance tool that allows them to view 
uh, four days in the past exactly, but you can only view it once and it's kind of, you can zoom through walls and you can change your vantage point and they claim it's because of satellite feed, etc, etc, but it becomes apparent to Denzel Washington's character as an observant man that there's no way that satellite imagery could produce this and then they eventually reveal, yes, they, they have basically found a way to view the past and the past is unfolding on a screen in front of them and this opens up a question of framing the past firstly but then also possibly altering the past and that's where our deja vu comes in is a kind of an idea that what would you do to to change the past and what can you see in the past that might seem familiar and connect back etc etc um but yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting film because, I mean, it's, without going too broad on it, this is a movie about movies, which is what every movie geek <laughs> loves. Gee, it's Vertigo yeah, by yeah. Tony Scott, which is, uh, I mean, honestly, if you'd stuck that on the poster, I probably would have watched this fucking years ago. Just, it's Vertigo <laughs> by Tony Scott. I'd be like, what the hell is Tony Scott doing making Vertigo? And I would have put it on and I would have been like, okay, yeah, I guess yeah. it kind of is. Th- I, I talked a little bit when we were when we were discussing Man on Fire about how stylistically I, I felt there was some dissonance between what Tony Scott was doing and what the rest of the movie was doing. But Deja Vu, everything kind of clicks. Like all of his stylistic flourishes and the fact that this is so over the top, it, it, it just works with the style of filmmaking, which is just as fucking wacky as, as Man on Fire. And it's it's little things like when they show the fairy explosion. Uh, Tony Scott in classic Tony Scott fashion has to show it from every single angle imaginable. So you're just seeing people getting like blown out of the boat and on fire. And again, pretty fucking violent for a PG-13 movie. Um, It's incredible he can go that big because he knows he can take like, I mean, it's almost like a commentary on the stupidity of censorship or what's appropriate for an audience, too, because he understands he can go insanely big big on this bloodthirsty horrific tragedy because he knows he can kind of wind it back in again and suddenly it's okay it's like he can get the spectacle and then also go but it's just a movie and i mean is it kind of highlights the stupidity of censorship almost feels like it might be a reaction to people going like man a fire is so violent like is this is this okay uh you know it's kind of like (laughs) well is this okay what are you gonna do now (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the the other two things are like one chubby Val Kilmer, which is the best Val Kilmer. Okay, so respect to casting him. Uh, And then also, I love the way that he deals with time travel because a lot of time travel movies really get bogged down in the nuance and the science and explaining everything. And there's an actual scene where these guys are just like bullshitting Denzel about how they're able to look back four days and this, that, and the other thing. And Denzel finally just like throws a chair at a computer screen. It's just like, what the fuck? And then they're like, okay, well, we don't actually know how it works. It just does. And that's all I need, really. You're making <laughs> uh, a time travel movie. It's a, it's a <laughs> digital recreation of the past, which is such <laughs> bullshit because they have it from every Wait, angle. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. It's funny because there's a... Well, I'd say there's this is a great bit. There's in... a great bit where she explains multiple branching, uh, you know, the theory of multiple branches of time, and it goes, "What happens if you change it?" And it's like, "Well, then presumably the original branch of time just disappears." And it's like, oh, "Okay, who's? I don't know why you presume that, but it's like this film clearly doesn't give a shit about it, so that's it, done." All you need. It's all you need. Go ahead, Sean. What were you gonna say? Uh, just a small detail that there's a scene in Enemy of the State where they're, uh, um, the, the, the state is, um, 
using surveillance technology to create different, like a, a 3D image of something that they can only see in 2D. Um, and it's just a weird like continuity here where that's basically what they're doing mm-hmm. um, with uh, digital technology, but it's much more intricate and large. But I, I just, having watched them both uh, closely, I was just like, oh, that's weird. Where have I seen that before? Oh yeah, Enemy of the State. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I, I like the surveillance aspect just because I think when I saw this, I probably rented it in like 2007, and it, it didn't really click with me at the time. But also 2007, we're talking like proto-social media, proto-surveillance. from 9-11. Yeah, yeah. So it's like to see... You personally. Steve. Yeah, me personally, me personally, um, as, as a first responder. Uh, I, I just like seeing how Tony Scott kind of frames the surveillance state and and not only is it ever present but also being used in a way where they don't even know how it fucking works they just use it constantly <laughs> they're just carting this thing around like yeah well we're just gonna fucking use it and you know we don't really understand this but sure and it only has this amount of range and we don't know why but you know whatever we're just gonna there's, go with it yeah there's a question of permissiveness because I mean what, what it really comes to is there's a scene where they, they go back in time to look at this woman who was found separately, who seems like an in into the investigation. They figure out that she was murdered by the terrorist separately. So if they can view what happened to her in the run-up, they can find the terrorist, who otherwise would be in a large group of people setting his bomb that would eventually go off in the ferry. So it would be easier to find him in a one-on-one with this woman. So they, they follow her rather than following the run-up to the, to the ferry. Um... And she, they're basically reviewing her life at this point, her just day-to-day life. And she strips off and gets in the shower. And it's just a bunch of a bunch of guys ogling a lady in the shower. And there's one woman on the team who, you know, asks like, "Should we be doing this?" And it's, I mean, it's interesting because I guess the film itself is kind of, I mean, this is a Brian De Palma moment. This is kind of like a question of spectatorship and titillation and what cinema permits us to do voyeurism effectively uh, and you know kind of that contract between an audience and and in this case i i guess there are differences in this case it's an unwitting actor she doesn't she doesn't know she is being observed not only is she being observed she's being observed from the future even more confusing um but yeah it, it's mm-hmm. a film i mean it, it really did this deja vu kind of locks into this idea of film as kind of an uh, an amazing process that allows us to recontextualize reality and i mean ultimately to maybe make reality a little better it's a weird film in the context of like man on fire which is such a like a cynical downer film that this is uh i mean really you didn't a, like it <laughs> yeah i have some <laughs> issues we can we can go back over those but <laughs> maybe a later date but you know this, this is uh i mean deja vu is like a weird grand romance and it, it reminds me a little bit of although not you know a film that's also a weird grand romance like inglorious bastards it's a film about cinema as a tool as a weapon as a a legitimate kind of a an device we can use in society that can enact change or kind of uh, you know like a real thing not just like frivolous mm. entertainment not just something you do cuz you got 2 hours free you know an active engagement with cinema that cinema is about something no matter what it's about and deja vu is like a big action spectacle that's about something 
Um, I think it's just, it's a really interesting, clever kind of a contextualization, and I think it's really telling. As much as like I hated Man on Fire being like it's set in Mexico, and then at the end, huh? at the end, they put up this this uh, title card at the end of the film that's like, um, you know, what to say? A special thanks to Mexico City. A, like a wonderful place and it's like it's a wonderful place like they just kidnap kids and everyone dies like this doesn't seem like a great place um but it's it's a really but it's a really interesting that here it's you know post hurricane katrina and the film was scheduled to go into production prior to katrina and then it was obviously delayed when katrina hit and devastated new orleans but the, and then they went back there they they made the decision to not move the production to go back and film in some cases amongst the ruins of that that city um, and it really hammers home an idea of, I mean, a romance of of, of a healing power and, and a, you know, the, the importance of observing and the idea that they filmed in that city and they recorded some of those. There's footage of devastated neighborhoods here and there throughout the city, throughout the film. It, it's really interesting, you know, it reminds me again, like, say, of Inglorious Bastards, a film that's kind of about, you know, Ultimately, in that film, uh, you know, film itself is weaponized. It's used to rewrite history in a kind of a cathartic moment. Uh, this film has similar elements to it in terms of kind of using the recording and observation of event to recontextualize reality. And in this case, save lives, but I guess ultimately to heighten awareness and to forge new connections. Um, it's It's a really surprisingly positive warm film about an extremist terrorist which also like to talk about it as a romance that works like um within the oeuvre of of tony scott that's not like a common thing that he does uh uh, romance and, and whatnot but um uh i mean unless you talk about top gun but um uh to reel it in back into denzel uh there and sort of the scenes where because a lot of this takes place with him in front of a screen and being talked through this technology with these geeks and technicians or whatever um they're like the moments that he's figuring this stuff out and just staring at the screen and sort of falling in love with this image um like some of the best stuff of denzel's career is just tony scott's camera being on him looking at a screen um I guess in that way, it's you know analogous to some heavy hitters like uh, uh, Passion of Joan of Arc or Viva Se V and other or even, art films even about Sheeran. people looking at a screen yeah. like Sheeran, yeah. right? And it's just it's it's him just sort of like figuring out things and just emoting, looking at a screen, and it's it's really beautiful and powerful stuff. Yeah, this is a, a big surprise for me. Myros, did, did this one click with you this time around? Because I know you're probably in the same boat as me when you saw this in 2007. Yeah, I don't even remember seeing it. I, I remember we rented it because it looked ridiculous. And uh, yeah, thought it would be a good laugh. Delivers but, on that. But, Were you like, did I have I seen this before when you started watching um, I I think this one works in a way that Man on Fire does not. I think... It's particularly interesting to me in that it it really is sort of the tail end of, we'll call it the Bruckheimer era of action cinema, of mainstream cinema, and it is also at the tail end thereby of of this sort of star-driven thing. You're right on the cusp of your Iron Man, and that is a sea change in the industry. And this movie really has an 
auteur voice and it, it shows sort of the power of an old school movie star and that is kind of missing today but this is kind of a hair's breadth away from being high concept boring christopher nolan type movie and it's entirely rescued from that by the presence of denzel washington and this he is magnetic in a way that you seldom see in in those types of high concept films and this it lends a humanity to this that you don't often find and that for that reason i th- i th- do think it's pretty special and i i do think that scott found almost an ideal vehicle for his newfound sense of style in this film as well because he can he can separate it largely from the narrative he it's the hyperactive editing is almost contained within this wormhole if you will you know and he can go as batshit as he wants with that it can be as disorienting as humanly possible because it's meant to be it makes narrative sense and it's employed quite well here. I, I think this is a very excellent film, honestly. Yeah. Jake, yeah, how, I, how about I, you? <laughs> this is the greatest movie ever made. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I loved it. I thought it was excellent as well. And um, it's, it's uh, Nolan is a, such a great counterpoint to this because I think the, the career he has where people just lot all these you know praise oh my god it's he makes these brilliant sci-fi movies in these worlds but like in many ways tony scott beat him to the punch with this movie this is like all the things nolan tries and fails to do tony scott succeeds here and he's guided tremendously by a very grounded and a very charismatic denzel um the there's a there's a sequence that um where they have to try to track down where maybe the, the terrorists may be hiding. And it's a it's a car chase, but Denzel grabs this VR helmet. So he's watching the wormhole footage from four days in the past as he's chasing an invisible car on the freeway to get to the spot. And it's like one of the craziest things I've ever seen a Hollywood movie do. But it mm-hmm. just it works so well in the context of the film. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. And like the, the kind of the, the cop out that Nolan will have like, oh, the, the answer is, is that love is the most powerful dimension. That's, that's bullshit. But here love is the most powerful dimension. (laughs) And I, I, uh, yeah, this is, yeah, I was just surprised. I think I think it's telling. It's great movie. Sorry, go ahead, Jack. Sorry, no. Just this came this came out in '06, and it's like so we had deja vu, and for Nolan we had the Prestige, and the Prestige is very much yeah. the reader for Christopher Nolan's films. It's the film about how Christopher Nolan conceives of his script writing, about how we commit to a, a trick and a worldview, and the sacrifices we make to kind of kind of cloister it away to protect it to make it magical and to surprise our audiences um and it's a very self-serious film i haven't seen it in years now and i remember quite enjoying it at the time but it's also like like anything christopher Nolan, like the prestige it's a movie with a rod up its ass like a hundred percent like it's a very stiff formal formally rigorous film intellectually rigorous dry film and Deja Vu is not that at all. Deja Vu is kind of messy and scrappy and kind of a little bit a little bit all over the place at some points. And like Jake mentioned that chase sequence, I think that's a really interesting sequence because that that's one of yeah. that's one of the points in the film that also kind of dabbles in state surveillance or state 
uh, action morally because Denzel Washington endangers a shit ton of people driving like a lunatic mm-hmm. on the roads to possibly save people's lives four days ago or whatever and you know but there's there's a question there's a question of what actions are permitted or permissible based on your knowledge knowledge that may or may or not be real uh to you know basically you know your your question of invasion you know of privacy or of endangerment of people versus a greater good i think that that chase offers a kind of an interesting balancing act of that and it doesn't really give an answer it's it's kind of you know enclosed within the film itself you can also feel it, it in that scene you can also feel like tony scott as the filmmaker coming through like ex, like trying to show you the experience of what it's like to make a movie about something that you're trying like you know you're familiar with this thing and you're just sort of like shooting in the dark as you know the technology sort of goes out and he can't see what he's doing and he just has to like listen to other people and to kind of trust his instincts and, and, and get the camera on this thing. It's a really uh, complex scene. Yeah, it's yeah. like an impressionist well, yeah. car chase. How, how many of those do you have? Yeah. It's honestly, it's one of the best action sequences of the last 20 years, mm-hmm. full stop. Like, it's just fucking awesome. It's completely ridiculous, and it's great. And I, I, I do love the Nolan comparison because it comes down to one thing. Uh, Denzel fucks and Tony Scott fucks and Christopher Nolan has never had sex so everything he does is like formally rigorous it's just like excuse me madam could you please lift up your your skirt and show me your ankle please I'd love oh oh my my willy my willy has become turgid at the sight of you you little fucking loser Blow something up. Come on. So, so okay, yeah. I'm going to propose a Christopher Nolan cast that Steve does on his own <laughs> Where I only talking, yeah, just it, yeah, uh, Nolan on Nolan, and I'll just I'll just talk about all the Christopher Nolan films in that voice as Christopher Nolan. So uh, yeah, uh, the good news is we might get to uh, we might get a little taste of uh, how Christopher Nolan could have sucked the life out of Denzel Washington when we watch uh, Tenet starring his son uh, this later this year. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, well, Christopher <laughs> Nolan, an entire generation behind Tony Scott. <laughs> Pretty much. All right, well, we got to move on to our last film, so uh, let's get equalized. You catch that fish yet? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. It's a happy ending. Not exactly. The old man met his greatest adversary just when he thought that part of his life was over. Why didn't he just let the fish go? Old man's got to be the old man. Fish has got to be the fish. Got to be who you are in this world, right? No matter what. Jake, is the equalizer Denzel Washington in Moby Wick? Ha! Ah. <laughs> ha! Yeah! Nailed it! There's your letterbox review, motherfucker. Well, I mean, Moby Dick's not Absolutely. even in the movie. Stop ruining this, Adam. No, but the, yeah, the you, cover of New Dawn Fades at the end of the film is by Moby. Yeah, so, boom. boom. Yeah, take that, Nailed loser. It. Quit shitting on my fucking parade here. Uh, this is... A, a a wild fucking movie because it, it does instantly draw some John Wick comparisons, rightfully so. But they came out like the same month, right? So it's not it, like this came out a month Antoine earlier. Foucault was like, okay, yeah, yeah. So there there you go. Uh, but Jake, what is the Equalizer other than kind of John Wick, but not really? Yeah. So Equalizer, uh, Denzel plays Robert McCall, 
kindly uh, man who works at uh, Home Depot knockoff for movie sake uh, meets a young girl who's a sex worker and uh, one night discovers she's um, put in the hospital and so he tracks down the guys who did it and what turns out just to be a simple little revenge beatdown uh, becomes an asymmetrical war against the entire Russian mafia. Uh, and you will better believe, since it stars Denzel, he kills every motherfucking last one of them. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Honestly, it it almost feels like a like a proto Batman type of movie. Uh, God, we're getting back into Nolan again, but uh, just Denzel's character, it seems like very small stakes Batman for a lot of it, where it's just like, oh, this woman was robbed and they took her ring that her mother gave her so now denzel's gonna go and you know rip the guy's dick off or uh oh no these these two crooked cops are exploiting a local family-owned business uh for money and now denzel's gonna go and just fucking kick their legs in like it, it's it's great it's, it's a, just all it's this a really shit. it's a really and i i've seen this movie before and i watched watched it again for this podcast and i'm surprised how well this holds up i genuinely like this movie quite a lot more than i should probably admit publicly it's a very kind of dumb movie in a sense but i feel like it's 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 not really i guess it's it feels dumb but it's kind of like antoine fuqua who i'm i'm not too familiar with his work i mean there's training day and this i don't know if i've seen any of his other films uh, equalizer 2 i also just watched today um I, well, I think i think myros wanted to do a, a fuqua uh, cast <laughs> as long as we're going to skew but david he's, he's kind of <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't know you know I don't I don't have a great picture of his work overall, but this the Equalizer is just a really good example of kind of a trim genre film that knows where to lean in. And like Jake mentioned, the the like Joy Division New Dawn fades needle drop at the end. Uh, the whole end sequence in Home Depot has like some I don't even know what the song is, but it's like the lyrics are just a guy going like I'm gonna die alone, but I'm gonna get vengeance. And it's like how does this song even exist? <laughs> like it's the stupidest thing. Um, but like the film really leans in. Our bad guy is like this very suave Russian gangster who is revealed at one point of like full body tattooing and when it's revealed to the camera like does this weird thing where it like goes over top of him and then goes upside down and like settles staring at him head on but like upside down for no reason i can discern stylistically it doesn't make any particular sense but it's just such a bizarre choice um but yeah, it's really, like, I just really enjoy this film, and it kind of has a thematic element to it, um, which I was surprised watching the sequel today, actually, kind of on, you know, there's a continuity of that thematic element, which, like, Steve, you were talking about how he basically, you know, he, like, he fixes up his, his local society, he, like, he wrongs a couple of rights here and there, like, small crimes, big crimes, and then eventually, <laughs> literally topples an entire Russian mob, an international crime syndicate, um, but like there's this idea I guess of of you know all all crime no matter how minor being an affront to humanity and he is the equalizer I guess if we I'm, it's a shame no one at any point goes like you've been equalized you know there's nothing you know maybe they should have tried to work that in just for optimal stupidity but you know kind of this idea that he's he's someone who is able to enact some kind of he's he's like a balance a counterweight to humanity's worst impulses and he is a sort of 
uh, he's OCD, I guess. There's kind of an inference that he's a little different. I mean, his discipline mm. seems, you know, mentally, you know, kind of like more than just uh, a kind of internal discipline of being an ex-military guy with a shadowy past like everyone in these films. That like, you know, he's kind of like he sets his watch for things, you know, to see how long it will take him to do something. He plans, he plots. There's like these visual maps before action sequences of what he plans to do beforehand. So there's like this suggestion maybe that he's like OCD. He's He has this like just incredible internal metronome that carries him through. So he's kind of separated away from humanity's impulses. Um... But really, all of that just really just comes down to the fact that he just kicks ass. Um, and it's like the most awful. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I hate the whole, uh, like, you know, delicate petal girl who's sold into the sex trade and some guy who is a kind of monopoly over violence is able to free her through just sheer violence. You know, these kind of like, it's a really awful thing, but it's in every one of these movies. But, it, you know, it, it kind mm-hmm. of, it works really well in this movie because it's impossible to take this film seriously, like, or take it at face value. Um, and I, I, you know, and at this point, I kind of have to hand it to Fuqua as a guy who kind of harnesses Denzel's ability to be very reserved and kind of internal as, a, as an actor. There's like kind of this interior reserve that, Denzel has which is I think one of the reasons why when he smiles or when he reveals any kind of interior emotion it's like the whole film changes the whole screen alters in composition when he does that and that's something that not a lot of actors can do but Denzel Washington sure as shit can do it I think you know and I think Fuqua maybe is smart enough to know that he's got that on screen so he needs to just kind of like pull back a little more and then just kind of like lean in on the action sequences with a little bit of flourish and kind of go big here and there you know so it's kind of like it's played pretty straight but with just enough of a veneer of kind of silliness that it it kind of it's just a very enjoyable good time um i just i really enjoy this honestly straight i watch this again tomorrow in a heartbeat it's just it's a really goofy movie Sean, I got a question for you. Uh, when you were choosing our, our slate for the Denzel cast here, what what made you go with the Equalizer? Um, I think it well well part of it is um, that it ended up being the the only franchise, at least so far, that he has uh, indulged in um, as he went on to do uh, Equalizer two, as Jack mentioned. Um, but it it. I don't know. There's, I, I think it bridges uh, some gaps. Like it, it has the action stuff, but he's not super big in it. I mean, I mean, you know, he 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 has that reservedness that you see in the uh, uh, the deja vu and, and some of the prestige stuff, like um, in the '90s, where he's just sort of like you know holding down the fort emotionally. Um, but he gets to do more muscular stuff. Um, I don't know. Uh, I. I what what do you guys think? Did it did it seem to fit as something different? Um, because I mean, I guess it could have done something like Book of Eli or something like that, but nobody really wants. Yeah, to Yeah, no watch. thanks, no thanks. <laughs> this is a better choice. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a pass on yeah, that I, one. Much better. I choice. feel like this yeah. is. Uh, Go ahead, Myers. Like my reaction to it is again, it is an interesting inclusion because it, it does chart down that sort of Denzel defining sort of the trajectory of action cinema in the, this era because this is. Mm-hmm. well into your your sort of franchise era and 
it is a better movie than something like Taken, but it is very adjacent to that. Like it, it's better almost because solely because of Denzel, really. And it is still in that ballpark. It's a sort of movie you see Liam Neeson and Bruce Willis is of the world doing a lot of these days. And I, I, it's not the sort of movie I'm capable of hating, but I kind of hate that it's what he's asked to do at this point in his career. But you know, it's, they're they're fundamentally right. very conservative films. I mean, yeah. this is absolutely like a conservative film, just like Taken is. It's a, you know men men protecting women men righting wrongs you know taking on the weight of the world yeah you know it's stupid action movie bullshit like it's not it's not rewriting any rules here by any means the nature of the beast i think most good action movies are conservative by nature i and i think and they're better for it um i'm not saying that the politics have to necessarily be good but yeah this is interesting because it's like Denzel, he's always the, you know, he's always the Superman in the room, but this is like his first superhero franchise. And it's interesting that of all his, his entire career, this is the first movie of his to actually get a sequel. Um, and he has, yeah, the, but it's, it has a lot of uh, traits of like the superhero movie, like the, the slowing time down thing. I was reminded of the, the guy, Richie Sherlock Holmes movies, because Robert mm -hmm. Downey Jr. does that. And, um, but, uh, yeah, if you want to just see, uh, oh, I don't know, Denzel destroy a bunch of guys using the equipment that you sell at Home Depot, uh, this is the movie for you. Mm -hmm. I, I think, um, uh, just kind of going through some of the other choices, like, uh, uh, he did Magnificent Seven, which I think was also yeah, a football joint. It um, is, yeah. Yeah, that uh, I I don't know if I'll I'll sit through it. My if I'm feeling especially completist, but um, two guns seems like a, kind of a throwaway. But maybe it's a fun one. I I, I have it downloaded. But uh, I did just rewatch Flight, Robert Zemeckis's Flight. Um, but uh, I, I think the the idea behind this podcast was, um, as Jack put it, like uh, actor as or action actor as auteur or something like that we wanted to keep it within like an action genre um because otherwise there's a lot of places to go with just his his acting but um he did flight which was a very sort of t that tom hanksian type of role um but very complicated and that's uh it's interesting i wonder if he'll go back to those movies like if he'll take those still or, or if he's just gonna kind of coast on um not necessarily coast but uh I, I wonder if he'll just kind of keep doing sort of popcorn fare or if every once in a while he'll he'll do these things that i mean he's awesome in flight flight's not a particularly good movie but he's he's incredible in it and uh really sort of flexes some moral ambiguity and uh compromises um in in ways that you remind you like oh yeah this is why he's a movie star and there's so few of them um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see, uh, how the next, because Equalizer 2, he's also noticeably larger. Like, it seems like you can really start to see his age in the last, like, uh, I don't know, 2014 with Equalizer. And, and I feel like around then maybe flight where he really bears it all out in 2012, but, um, He's he's getting older. He's not going to be able to do Equalizer three and four. Like no, he's like sixty. If, you know. <laughs> I do want to, did yeah. Equalizer two come off the back of Fences? Because I feel like it does feel like maybe he just kind of came yeah. right off a dramatic role where he 
you know, didn't have to do, like, I would, did he take Equalizer 2 just an opportunity? I was joking about this earlier, just to, like, get a physical trainer and a personal chef, like, just lined up for him, well, in the get middle, back in shape again. <laughs> in the middle, there's a movie he was inexplicably nominated for an Oscar for, Roman J. Israel Esquire. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot to mention that, because that, I, I watched that movie, and I, I, I didn't care for it and he's very affected in it but some some people swear by that movie so i'm gonna at least give it another shot i will not uh within <laughs> but yes you, you yes did i watch have it, yeah. fences on the other hand you know as yeah. a directorial uh it's not his debut but it's his most prominent film and and if we were comparing him to clooney i'd say it's it's significantly better than anything clooney's directed it, it's and his performance mm -hmm. in it a plus yeah, yeah I'm, great I feel like the that, equalizer. That was a big surprise for me. Yeah, I feel like the equalizer is like, I think it works really well. But I think I like maybe the reason Denzel was like fine to go in and and take Equalizer two is because it's a pretty easy movie for him. I f I feel like Denzel is able to kind of he does what he does pretty easily in this. I feel like even Tony Scott, like even Man and Man on Fire, or whatever, is probably a much more demanding shoot in terms of just its length and its cost and its variables kind of like dynamics and stuff you know the the action sequences in the equalizer are pretty clipped and terse i don't even know how much like really major stunt work goes in it's not like you know we compare it to john wick but like the the fight sequences are nothing like john wick in terms of their their kind of like composition complexity and the, you know keanu reeves has pretty much gone full on in as like a participating stunt person within these films to you know kind of like give life to these very intricate pieces of work the equalizer doesn't have that it's very over the top and kind of like you know the camera just swings around it's very like you know short short sharp bursts of movement and i just wondered like maybe denzel's just kind of like enjoying himself a little bit like is he he kind of brings mm. he brings just a very calm energy to it like he doesn't like there's no i mean he doesn't there's no point in either of the equalizer films where he loses his temper or has to shout yeah. you know like he really he just has to stand there and be denzel washington honestly uh, so yeah, it feels like maybe just kind of a, like a film that just kind of registers on a very relaxed tempo for him. I don't know. Maybe later on the oral history of the Equalizer will come out and it'll be like it was a shit <laughs> show. I have no idea. I'm just making this up. But it, that's certainly the feel. If it was a shit show, Denzel Washington makes it look like it was a very easy shit show. So you know, and that's that would be another mark him. in his favor. Yeah, for sure. Hey Jack. Yeah. I all right, I boys. found a oh. I found another uh, Antoine Fuqua thing you've you've surely seen. Uh, he directed the Three Doors Down Citizen Soldier Army propaganda film that aired before like every oh. movie ever for five years. <laughs> you see, oh and, yeah, and, and here's me. I no, I don't think I've ever seen. That. Well, count your <laughs> blessings, man. How have you not seen that? Because I don't go to multiplexes. I don't, Three Doors Down is the oh. band, right? Yes. yes. Like yeah, Mr. Fancy Pants. <laughs> They're like that shitty Mr. Yeah, no. fucking... Hey, they did, did they do Superman? Was that them? Yeah, I oh, vaguely... Like, I am I am insulated enough from... Kryptonite, sorry. It, it, no. Superman was... Uh, uh, something blind or something. Five for oh, five. Oh, okay. So, so they did no, kryptonite. No, you're thinking of kryptonite. Kryptonite. Oh, kryptonite. Yeah. The song. Okay. So I, w I am about insulated enough from anything that's popular with the with with people that I'm only vaguely aware of that stuff happening. I I can vaguely recall kryptonite, and it's a 
boring ass song for stupid people. I understand that. And if you like Kryptonite, you're a bad person. But um, I yeah, I don't know anything about that. So yeah, that's how, how have you? Oh my god, yeah, the Citizen Soldier thing. It literally it ran for years. Like I felt I've like never seen the entire that. run of me and Myros living in California was just like we would go see a movie and and that would fucking yep. play. Like it was just a fucking guarantee. It's the worst. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll send you a link, Jack. You really enjoy yeah, that. I enjoy, you know, because like literally there was probably like four or five years when I was I just never went to a multiplex because it was like, why would I pay money to see what's playing here? So it's yeah. it's a really effective propaganda video because, you know, the songs supporting the troops and the, the visuals that accompany it. It just made me go, damn, I really want to bomb a school great. bus in Yemen right now with like yeah, a fucking great, drone. Great tie back <laughs> to great. Tony Scott, director of Top Gun. <laughs> ah, perfect perfect it all comes together all right well we got to wrap this thing up uh so jake what are you putting over this week wow all right um so uh amy simetz uh is a filmmaker um she has a new movie out on vod this weekend as of the time of this record called um she dies tomorrow uh and to prepare for that i went and watched her debut film from 2012 uh called sun don't shine which was pretty excellent. It's a um, it's a it's a kind of a spin on uh, Badlands. It's a man and a woman who have uh, committed a crime. Although the man seems to be more the criminal, and the woman is in love with him, but is kind of unwitt- unwittingly along for the ride. Um, but it's very uh, very beautifully shot and uh, directed, and I would recommend that. It's uh, it's now streaming on Amazon Prime. Sun don't shine. Cool. Sun don't shine. Uh, Jack, what are you putting over? Uh, I'm gonna put over I didn't really put any thought into this I'm just gonna put over uh, uh, music uh, Giant Swan uh, they do loud aggressive music that's very good like electronic slightly uh, oh, I don't know I don't have the vocabulary for music it's not all electronic they do some like acoustic rock elements to it but basically it's like just big loud chunky music uh, without lyrics that you can listen to while you're doing work or running or whatever so Giant Swan is their first, uh, it's the name of the band, but also they just released like an album semi-recently. Uh, they had a couple of EPs prior to that, but uh, it's it's pretty good stuff. So if you're looking for a soundtrack for your day, uh, it's pretty cool. Do it. Doesn't sound as good as Three, Door De- Three Doors Down, but you it's, know, whatever. Um, yeah, no, it's it's certainly different. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I literally haven't watched anything at all, but... Uh... I will say I've, I've been trying to squeeze in a few video games before the dog ruins my life and doesn't allow me to ever play one again. So um, I play, I just started a ghost of Tsushima, which is, I, it, it is very good. And it is perhaps like the best looking video game I've ever seen. So uh, if you want some eye candy, like some samurai uh, action business, then uh, check out ghost of Tsushima. It, it's quite fun and very beautiful. Did you know you can play it in Kurosawa mode, which is just they they make the game black and white. <laughs> yeah, with, it's even it's beyond that. <laughs> they they have like film grain. Oh, I and it, was on. It, it totally it shifts everything. It's very I, I strange. Heard that, yeah, but I I heard there's like to play the game. There's like color coded elements of the gameplay for like parrying or whatever, and they go black and white too, which means you can't play the game properly. Yeah, in I think Kurosawa mode. I think Kurosawa mode would be for like a second playthrough. You know, you want to see some of the eye candy. Probably, yeah. That seems that seems about right. All right, Sean, what are you putting over this week? Uh, 
I wanted to put over an album uh, from the year 2000. Um, it's called The Better Life uh, by a band called Three Doors Down. <laughs> um, now, uh, I, I, I mentioned uh, that I just uh, rewatched Click last night and uh, found it to be very uh, surprisingly good. Uh, I mean, I had seen it before. So if you watched Click a long time ago and, and thinks that it sucks, uh, try and let it back into your heart. Have, have you been fully Sandler pilled at this point? Are you on board? Um, I'm, I, I, I'm getting there. I think Click is the best one that I've watched so far. Just go with it was 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 all right. Uh, yeah, I like just go with it. Um, the, the real test is you got to get over the Jack and Jill hump. Like if you if you go from yeah. this is the worst to yeah. Dunkachino is the greatest comedic achievement of the last twenty five <laughs> years. That's when you know you've been fully. Sandable. I don't know, man. Dunkachino, pretty. I funny. haven't. Dunkachino, it's it's kind of fun. I'm, w- I'm waiting for. Has anyone redeemed eight crazy nights? Because I remember watching that years ago that would be tough that yeah that was a bad time <laughs> i feel like you i feel like the cobbler yeah. has got to be that's got to be unwatchable <laughs> yeah that's that's a yeah, rough one maybe i don't know we'll see time will tell i'm sure sean will you can update us on your sandler journey as you continue to to go through that all right all right uh this week i'm putting over kamala r.i.p kamala and not the kamala harris that you're you're thinking of this one's not a cop he's a ugandan giant which means i think he's from new jersey and he just played a ugandan giant uh james kamala harris yes his name is kamala harris uh he he was the wrestler kamala uh you probably remember him from the wwf in the early 90s but uh, he's a great villain wrestler that was uh poorly utilized by vince mcmahon uh, as he often did during that era so yeah, passed away today, just now, actually. And uh, if you get a chance, go back, watch some of his old shit. Uh, if you want to look at his WWF stuff, just because it's easy to get a hold of. Uh, his feuds with Hulk Hogan, really good. His stuff with The Undertaker is absolutely great. Uh, both those guys were kind of prime of their career at that point. Uh, if you want to go back a little bit earlier, check out YouTube. You can watch his stuff with Jerry Lawler, which is super great, because that's from the early 80s in the Mid-South, where... Uh, everybody thought wrestling was like very, very fucking real, and uh, they did not like Kamala because uh, you know, again, it's uh, it's uh, Memphis, Tennessee. People aren't people aren't big on Uganda Giants down there. Uh, also, another great thing you should check out with Kamala is his uh, his work with uh, Andre the Giant. So, you know, people always remember when Hulk Hogan slammed Andre the Giant at uh, WrestleMania three at the Pontiac Silverdome, and how big of a deal that was because. Uh, Andre really never took body slams because he only took them from guys that he really, really respected. And if you go back prior to WrestleMania three, one of the only guys he's letting body slam him is Kamala. So uh, nothing but respect to my Uganda giant, the real Kamala Harris, the good one. Uh, other than that, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast right now, do us a favor, click the link in the description. That'll take you to our iTunes page. Please. If you have not yet done it, Give us a five-star written review. That'll help us out a ton. Uh, helps with our discoverability on iTunes. And, uh, you know, we can we can work that algorithm. And the more people that listen to us and can discover us, uh, the more stuff we can do for you. Also, we have a Patreon page that you need to check out. Uh, Patreon.com backslash Optimism Vaccine. There's also a link to that in the description of the show. 
Uh, I know times are tough right now, so of course I'm begging you for money because I'm a real piece of fucking shit. But hey, if you got a couple extra bucks you throw our way, uh, just like $3 would be awesome. Helps us out a ton, helps us get new equipment, helps us pay for this podcast, which costs more than you would think, believe it or not. Uh, but that'll unlock a bunch of special gated content for you. And uh, we're going to be adding more to that in the next coming months as well. So more and more free special shit from us because you deserve it, dear listener. We appreciate you. Uh, also, you can find us on Twitter at Optimism Vaccine. Uh, email optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros is standing by hitting refresh for all your questions, comments, death threats, and marriage proposals that you'd like to send us. Uh, please send them our way. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, Jake. The last word is yours. There is a phenomenon known as deja vu. The boundaries of your city's lights. Stand the heroes waiting for your cries. So many times you did not bring this on yourself. When that moment finally comes, I'll be there to help. On that day when you need your brother. I'll be right here.